This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And welcome back to Sunday Morning Magazine. Remember, for more information on the show, you can like us on our Facebook page. Visit us at Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. All morning long, we're celebrating the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On the phone with me now is author Nick Stone. The title of her book is Dear Martin. In the book, Justice McAllister is at the top of his class, captain of the debate team, and set for the Ivy Leagues next year. But none of that matters to the police officer who just handcuffed him. Struggling to cope with it all, Justice starts a journal to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But do Dr. King's teachings hold up in today's modern world? It's our pleasure to welcome Nick Stone, the New York Times bestselling author of her debut novel, Dear Martin. Welcome to the show this morning, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rodney. Oh, no problem. Now, I understand that you lived in Israel for a few years. What took you there and what was that experience like for you? Because that's quite unique. Yeah. So I was intensely evangelical um, when I was younger. And I went there initially because I really wanted to explore the land of the Bible and, and kind of go to these places and visit these sites where, where the Bible happened. While I was there the first time, I met a guy who just happened to be very attractive um, <laughs> and also very smart and very kind, and I wound up marrying him. Um, and so then I moved there. It was interesting. As you can see, I am clearly back in the United States, so that's just something. <laughs> okay, so um, did you bring your husband back? I did. I dragged okay, him out of his homeland. I certainly did. So how true is this, Nick? I understand that you had the chance to work with fame author Jody Picoche, and eventually she became a mentor of yours. How true is that, and how did the two of you cross paths? Yeah, so Jody Pico, she, um, she was working on a book. Uh, the book is called Small Great Things, and it was released in 2016. It's this book about, it's really about racism. It's about a nurse, an African-American nurse, who is barred, from caring for a baby. She's an OB. She's a a labor and delivery nurse. And she's barred from caring for the baby of a pair of white supremacists. And when she was doing the research, when Jody was doing the research for this book, I was a senior at Spelman College. And Jody was coming to Spelman to, um, to interview the president of our college at that time. I was doing an independent study in fiction because I was trying to get into writing. And I got invited to this meeting that she was going to be having um, at the president's house. And we just kind of clicked. She offered, well, actually, I offered to, you know, help her with anything she needed when it came to the research process. And that's actually also how I got into this concept of like sensitivity reading, where, you know, you have, you're writing outside your experience and you have somebody living the experience you're writing about, read it to make sure it's accurate. Um, She was the first person I ever did that for. And yeah, we just, really vibed. And she, to this day, is very, like, invested in me. Um, I actually just read her newest book that comes out this fall. So everybody be on the lookout for that. It's really good. All right. Now, let's talk about this now. One thing I found really interesting, um, in the acknowledgments at the end of the book, you talk about how you had to cut half of the book. By this being your first novel, what was the editing process like for you? And what did you learn about yourself as a writer during that process? It was a nightmare. Can I first say that? Um, <laughs> so my editor is, is, is a bit of a legend. Um, she worked with uh, the late Walter Dean Myers for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. So she's got quite the resume and she knows what she's doing, Rodney. Like, and it took me as this little baby author 
kind of full of zeal, um, it took me a minute to come to an understanding of the fact that, like, she knew what she was talking about. So a lot of it being a nightmare was because of me. Um, originally, <laughs> the book was, it was double the length, as you just said, and there were, like, eight points of view. It was just a lot more complex. But with that complexity and the other subplots, and there were just too many characters, with all of that, kind of the core of the novel got a little bit lost. So she helped me to streamline what the crux of the novel needed to be and really draw that out more. Um, and what I learned about myself as a writer is that if I don't pay attention to what I'm doing, I can get into this like kind of show offy thing where I'm just trying to show where I do these like narrative acrobatics that are completely unnecessary. Um, so, so she really helped me to see kind of the beauty of simplicity and also the fact that like, Honestly, the shorter books, they're harder to write, but man, can they have quite the impact. The book is brilliant, if you ask me. Uh, you know, oh, I have a, Well, I have a 13-year-old son, so I couldn't wait to, you know, share it with him. You know, a lot of the things that you talk about in the book, but we'll talk about that in a second here. But first of all, tell us about the book. Tell us about the book and how did you come up with this concept for the book, um, The Dr. King Connection? Okay, so when Jordan Davis was killed in 2012, he's a young man killed in Jacksonville, Florida, over the loud music. When he was killed, I had a five-month-old. Like, I had become a new mom to a little boy, and it was just this, like, wake-up call for me, you know, to have this black kid killed because he had his music turned up too loud and somebody didn't like it. Like, that was, it was just, it was very jarring. And then, like, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the hashtag kicked off when um, George Zimmerman was acquitted, but the movement kicked off after the death of Michael Brown. So it's like, it's like boom, 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 back to back. You have all of these black kids being killed. And as this mother of a black boy, it's like I had to do something just to process. So when Black Lives Matter, the movement really got going, I kept seeing people quote Dr. King in opposition to it. And that was something that just really got under my skin as a person who, like, I totally idolized him. Like, I have no problem admitting that. And to see people quote him in opposition to this nonviolent protest movement, because that's what Black Lives Matter is, um, it just didn't sit right with me. And so I decided that I really wanted to explore, like, you know, people use his teachings to kind of promote respectability politics these days. And I kind of wanted to be like, wait a minute, let's see, actually, if he were alive, let's see what happens when we apply some of these teachings. Like if I were a 17 year old boy and I were to try to take Dr. King's teachings and apply them to my own life, what would my experience look like? And that's kind of, that, that is where the, the kind of the genesis of the novel and where it came from. Um, and it, the, the idea of the letters um, honestly just came, comes from like my years and years of journaling. Like journaling is definitely a method that I've used for a long time just to kind of process my own life and process things going on around me. Um, so you just kind of had the, those little collisions of things and there it is. All right. And so the book is about 17 year old Justice McAllister. Is that right? That's correct. In the opening chapter of the book, we see Justice kind of on this rescue mission. His, his ex-girlfriend has been drinking and is trying to drive her car. And his goal is to prevent her from doing that and to drive her home in her own car himself, just so that he knows that she's gotten there safe. Um, in the process of trying to get her into the car, a police officer pulls up assumes that he is trying to carjack her and arrest him on the spot without giving him a chance to explain anything. Um, and that incident is what kind of triggers him to start this social experiment where he decides he's going to try to live like Dr. King and record his 
his uh, his experiences in this journal in the form of letters. Um, and as and as the novel goes on, you see him facing all kinds of things um, that I went through, even as like as a girl, as the the token, if you will, because he's he's the token in in his school. He's one of the tokens in his school. He's a token in a lot of his experiences. And you see his view of things shift as his eyes kind of open to the reality around him. And, yeah, it gets pretty heated. Things get a little testy at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely proud of not only of the novel itself, but of, like, the response that it's gotten. Because I, I get a lot of emails and, and messages from kids who read it and love it. And, like, I get the messages from the, messages from the white kids are like, yo, this is amazing. I had never thought of this like this. Now I feel like I have such a broader perspective. The messages from the black kids are like, yo, I've never seen myself in a book before. This is the first book I've ever finished. Thank mm. you so much for writing it and for reflecting me. So it's it's been a good ride so far. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's death. What do young people, what do they know about Dr. King? What are you hearing from young people? They know the highlights. You know, like I I go into these schools and that's actually one of the first questions I'll ask is like, what do y'all know about Dr. King? So they know that he was a civil rights leader. They know that he gave the I Have a Dream speech, that he won a Nobel Peace Prize, that he was a preacher. So you get all of the the high points, Um, but very few of them know kind of the more, the less shiny pieces, like, you know, the fact that he was on the FBI's most watch list, you know, like people, people have, it it seems like the further and further we get from the civil rights movement, the more his legacy honestly gets a bit sanitized. Um, And it's unfortunate, but it's also something that I try to do my best to make sure that we're talking about, you know, the same way people oppose Black Lives Matter and, and get frustrated about kind of the unrest that's caused and the upheaval that's wrought by, by these protests and these marches, like it was the same during the civil rights movement. Actually, it was probably worse, you know, cause there weren't the same, like the protections weren't the same as they are now. Um, so just trying to make sure that these kids know more than the highlights has been interesting. Mm. Um, Interesting indeed. So let me ask you this. You know, every year I do a recommended summer reading list. Of course, this book is going to make that list. It's on that Thank list. You. So, But I, one of the things that I struggled with, and I'll be honest with you, is at the beginning, this is my fifth year doing it. At the beginning, I would not choose a book. If it had profanity in it, it was like an ixnay on that book. I would move on. Mm-hmm. It's like I didn't want to do that. But let's talk about the use of profanity because, and I've come to a different realization now. But let's talk about the use of profanity. You know, some young adult authors, they stay away from it. But you decided to use it in your book. Um, Why was that important for this particular story for you? I just wanted it to read authentically. You know, kids cuss. They're the ones reading it. You know, they're the ones I wrote it for. Mm -hmm. Um, I was dropping F-bombs in kindergarten, Rodney. Like, just being honest. (laughs) So, and, and, you know, it's what, this is one of those, those very fascinating quirks of American culture, because this is, it's not like this in other, and I've been, I've lived in Israel, I've visited other places. The idea of, quote, profanity, it just isn't that big of a deal um, in other places. And it's a very interesting thing to me, like this notion of very specific words um, that aren't, slurs like they're not overtly offensive to any particular group um but there's this idea of these these very specific words that you shouldn't use because it's taboo but like of course people use them anyway um and that's really what i wanted to reflect i wanted to reflect the vocabulary of your 
slightly above average black American teenager. Um, and in order to do that accurately, I just, you know, this, this is how the kids I talk to, this is how they talk. I had to evolve into that. I know that, you know, to be realistic for kids facing certain situations or just kids out talking amongst themselves, that's how they talk. It is, exactly. And you'd be surprised at how, how much that impacts a kid's reading experience. I know there are a lot, you know, kids these days, they're just inundated with so much stuff, like so much, there's just so much stimuli everywhere. Um, And so to get a kid to sit down with this object that just has a bunch of words printed on sheets of paper, um, honestly, that's not as appealing as watching TV. Like even to me, I mean, of course, to me, I'd love to read, but like I can understand why you know, based on how kids are growing up these days and what they're constantly surrounded by, it's not as easy to get them to pick up a book for entertainment or for pleasure as it was back when there was less for them to occupy themselves with. Um, And they're also a lot more self-aware. Kids today are a lot more self-aware. They're a lot more easily influenced by their peers and they're, they're a lot more cognitive of their own agency. Like they're, they're more aware of the fact that they do have power and that they can use that power to change their environment, if you will. And so they don't want to read books where they don't see themselves reflected. And I totally understand that. So by presenting them as they actually are, it actually, it, it's helpful to these kids who, you know, typically wouldn't even pick up a book. And I've heard that from them. You know, this is like direct from the mouths, from the mouths of babes, if you will. Like they like seeing how they talk written down in a book because it validates them. This is one question that I, I don't typically ask in an interview. I know it's over asked and it's, it's too simple, but I think it's important for this particular book. What is the takeaway from this book? What do you want young people after they read this book? What's the takeaway? I mean, for me, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's not so straightforward. I just want people to think more critically. Um, like I just said with the, in my last response, like there's always so much stimuli that, you're, you, that we're faced with these days, and we don't often get a lot of time to think. Um, so if the book stimulates thought in a way that when people are reminded of stuff in the book, they're stimulated to think again, I'm happy. Um, I, I think that critical thinking is a, a kind of a, a lost value uh, in our current society, but it's something that we need if we're going to progress. Um, so as, as long as kids are being encouraged to think and, and to not be rash and to take the time to research and process information and, and form form their own thoughts about it, I'm, I'm happy. Now, Nick, this is your debut novel. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's much talked about. It's all the buzz in young adult literature. You have won major awards for this book. What has this all been like for you, and how are you taking it all in? I'm really not, Rodney. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, like I have, I got two kids. My kids <laughs> are five and a half and one and a half. Mm-hmm. I got a husband. I got, I like, I travel a lot. Like, so I'm just like head down, nose to the grindstone, focused on the work. Like, we're just, I'm just moving. <laughs> I, we got, oh, my calendar just rang. I have to go do a phone interview. Like, that's really where I'm at. Like, just kind of a day at a time. Um, not thinking much about it at all. Just kind of focused on the next thing. My next book is out in October. So we've already started. Um, the promotion for that and okay so you opened up a can of worms tell tell me about the what's next what's next because you're already working on it yeah no it's done yeah it's wow so the next book is um it's called odd one out and it is about 
questioning and teenage sexuality. So I think people will find as the years progress and more books of mine kind of enter the world, I have this thing for like picking apart societal problems. And this one has to do with trying to figure out who you're attracted to. I was questioning in high school, but it's not something that I would have done openly or would have admitted to anybody because it's just that's not something that was okay back then. Mm-hmm. But I encounter a lot of kids because I, I do some mentoring, and I encounter a lot of kids who are trying to figure themselves out but feel very alone in the process. And, like, I, I know for me as a, young, as a youngster, not like I'm super old now, but, like, in my teen years, um, the idea of somebody else going through what I was going through was just hugely helpful. Um, especially when you're dealing with kind of isolated think things where you feel isolated because you just don't, you, you don't know what to think or how to feel about something. So knowing that somebody else even was going through the struggle would have been helpful for me. So really I kind of wrote this book for like my teen self, but it's about these three kids. Um, it's a boy and two girls. Uh, it's written kind of in three chunks. It's, it's like, I call it a trilogy of novellas. Mm. So you have these three kids going through this, kind of upheaval in relationships because the relationships are suddenly colliding with romantic feelings and like who likes who, what's going on. I'm excited about it. It's very different from Dear Martin, but it's also, I think when readers read it, they will be able to tell that it's also like me. Like it's a very me novel. There's a lot of dialogue. They sound like teenagers. Uh, there's cussing. <laughs> like those things. <laughs> Are, are in the book just like they were in Dear Martin, but it's just this very different topic, and, and these kids are going through different things. So you talked about the, you said you're keeping your nose to the grindstone. So I, I, yeah. I would imagine that that's really good for an author that's had you know this great success with this book, and you're not really feeling the pressure for the next book. No, I mean it's like the the beauty of. So I waited six months for notes on Dear Martin, and during that time, I just wrote another book. So. The book that is coming out in October, I wrote in 2015. Um, And then the book that's due on April 3rd comes out October 2019. And I wrote it in, like, November of 2015. So, like, just staying on, this is kind of a tip for writers, like, any aspiring writers out there, any aspiring authors, as you wait, like, write the next thing. It's, uh, it goes a long way. Good advice, good advice. Well, thank you so much. And as I mentioned earlier, the book is brilliant. There were times where, you know, they say you, there are books that you can't put down, but this was one I actually could put down. And the reason I was putting it down is because I had to think. I was thinking that's deep. Yes, that's I had to so put. Awesome. I had to put it down to kind of just take it all in and say, okay. Yes. But I just could not wait to share it with my um, my thirteen year old son. So we we talked we talked about a lot of things, and I think it's good for a, a dialogue opener for parents about Thank race. You. That is music to my ears. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations, and we're very proud to have it. Thank you so much, Nick, for taking time to talk to us, and we look forward to the next book. Of course, Rodney. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Nick. All right. We've been speaking to New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone. Remember, more information about the show can be found on our Facebook page. Visit us at Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Like us there. You can also listen to the show anytime you like. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app, and there you can look for Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear again and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on your favorite podcast app. Well, that's it for this edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. Until next week, be encouraged. Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday morning. Never see.